Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now hello possums it's damon average and now for something completely similar more it's funny because i'm a fella dressed up as a lady Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It's a new era in podcasting here at For Screen and Country, Brendan. God, I hope not. It's the quarantine era. It is the quarantine era. Um, you guys might be asking yourself, why does it sound a little weird this week? Well, that's because I, Brendan. And I, Jason. Are not in the same room. No, not this time. No, we're actually across town from each other. In fact, we're across an entire river. Yeah, we are abiding by the laws as you all should. Man, this podcast is going to air, air in like three weeks. It's going to age horribly. Everyone's going to know the coronavirus was just a big hoax uh, by the Democratic yeah, Party. Yeah, finally I'll be out by then. <laughs> it will be revealed. Everyone's going to be, everyone's just going to be laughing this off. Yeah. I've been following. I've been following the word on 8chan, uh, QAnon. They, they, they know what's going on. Uh, you'll see. Oh, you'll Jason, see. That's where I go for my news. That's right. It's the only place that's reliable anymore. And Breitbart, I go to for my intentional comedy. Ah, they're great. <laughs> oh boy. Before we get yanked off the air, as I said, I'm Brendan. I'm Jason. This is a podcast called For Screen and Country. And how appropriate, Jason, is the movie that we're talking about this week on And Now for Something Completely Similar, yes, which is a miniseries that we're doing on movies related to the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time list, hmm. which of which we normally talk about. But it's so appropriate that we're doing the remake of The 39 Steps, because that's about as far as we are from each other. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, I've done that walk, and it's at least 90 minutes, and I can assure you, my friend, that is longer than 39 Steps. Well, you're not walking right then. Uh, and, and when you say remake, we have to point out this is at least the what? the I, I see four different film versions of this, so this would be the third remake, plus there's nope, like Alfred plays. Hitchcock did the only version. <laughs> he wrote the original treatment, the original screenplay. Now, I'm, I'm looking at it right here on Wikipedia, Brendan. It's, in fact, the 1978 one has the 39 written out like you know in what? words. You know what, Jason? I don't believe you are because I can't see you in front of me. No. Oh. Well, that's true. You you do have trouble with object permanence. <laughs> Guys, this is going to get weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're talking about a movie called The 39 Steps. Before we get into it, let's just listen to a little bit of the beginning and the music. I can't wait. 
in cafes and salons across Europe. Groups huddled together discussing politics, philosophy, nationhood. Your malt, Mr. Hanley. Thank you. Soda, sir? No, thank you. In London, talk was of Hobbes' dismissal for four by Haig at the Oval. Sticky wicked, old boy. That's what did for him. That's cricket, by the way. I'd only recently returned from Africa. Everything in England seemed cliquey, claustrophobic, class-bound, and frankly, deathly, deathly dull. Bored, I'd stay out all night, seeking entertainment. That's right. That little bit at the beginning um, from Rupert Henry Jones, who plays Richard Henney, who mm-hmm. warns us, I'm a bored man and everything's very boring and I'm very bored. And I said right off the bat, I said, movie, <laughs> you are testing me because I remember Lawrence after Arabia. Yeah. And you you now this one is just full on like, guess what? Everything's boring and we're bored and stuff. Good luck. <laughs> So what we have to look for in future is any movie that begins with a fella staring into camera or monologuing about how uh, uh, how his life is going to be or was. So, Jason, this is 2008 BBC television movie of the mm-hmm. 39 Steps. Oh, just starring, what we wanted, eh? <laughs> starring Rupert Penry Jones taking over the role of Richard Henney. Yeah. Uh, Lydia Leonard playing Victoria Sinclair. Who's basically the female role from the from the Hitchcock movie? Basically, yes, I mean, they're, they're they're filling the same filling the same kind of function with its own 2008 uh, uh, spin on it. Yes, the classic 2008 take. <laughs> Jason goes for those those 2008 modern spins. Oh, those were the days. Uh, <laughs> Twelve years ago. Oh yeah, that was a while ago. This is a wild time. Uh, David Haig plays Sir George Sinclair, her mm. uh, uncle, I believe. It's a good British uh, name, David Haig. I wonder if he's related to right? uh, Douglas Haig. Or Sid Haig. Wait, how's, how's Haig spelled? <laughs> H-A-I-G. Oh, that's Douglas Haig, yeah, and Sid Haig, I think, too. Yeah, Sid Haig, classically renowned British actor. Absolutely. Of One of the best thespians from the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, R.I.P. Um... Patrick Malahide as the sinister Professor Fisher, and wait, that's like a double name. That's like that's like uh, uh, Mr. Doctor Professor Fisher. <laughs> okay, well he's got two jobs. T- oh. Times are tough. Times are tough in World War One, uh, Jason. Yeah, yeah. And finally, problem. we cannot forget, last but certainly not least, Eddie Marzen. Yes, our old man, our old friend. So our happy old to man. see him. Our yeah, father? He's, he's an old man. He's very old. Yeah, he's my father. He's a good guy. He really Wait, took care of me. Are we brothers? I think so. I think so. Well, Eddie Marsden plays Scudder. Who I was looking at them initially. I had to look it up because I saw Eddie Marzan's name in the credits. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that name. Uh, we, we saw him in something. And then I saw him and he and I finally put two and two together. <laughs> and it made me very happy. Go lucky? 
the happiest of go luckies. I was gonna say, I thought you said happiness. I was like, he is not in that movie. No, no, I no. assure you. Happy go lucky. It was it was my happiness to see him in this movie. So Jason, I went into this with trepidation. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? As I'm sure you did as well. This is um, oh. obviously they're touching kind of a uh, a sacred sacred thing here. I mean, the 39 steps was not that sacred, Brendan. They did remake it twice before this one. I mean, yeah, but, but yes, I mean, a, a film steps. that is considered a great, a great, amazing film of its era for sure. Number four, right on the BFI top 100. So this yes. is a this is a big one. Um, I I am also I mean I'm just as worried when we talk when we end up talking about the 70s, the lady vanishes. So mm-hmm. <laughs> with Elliot Gould. <laughs> Ooh, I like him. You, you, I mean, we talked about the the Hitchcock 39 Steps. Yeah. So I mean, just break it down. What is this movie kind of about? Well, it, it's it's very much a similar idea where you have a uh, and and we of course see it later as we talked about in that episode uh, with North by Northwest, uh, where you have a man who becomes unintentionally embroiled in uh, a drama that is much greater than himself and that he has no real connection to other than being in at the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. That's the movie. Uh- Oh, you want okay. some more well, of that? Oh, okay. God well, save so, the queen. <laughs> God save the queen. Uh, so yeah, in, and he gets embroiled in this, and he's given a code book uh, from Eddie Marzan's character, who claims to be a, a spy with the British Secret Service, and the Germans are trying to get it. And and this is one of the things about this whole thing that that makes my head boggle is that the historical, like what they're trying to say historically, makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Like the whole point of it is that they want to get information on the royal fleet so the germans can destroy the british fleet so they can invade britain i think is the plan and and this is supposed to be the way that world war one starts is it not yeah yeah well there is that but but it's implying or at least maybe i'm stupid and just didn't get it but as far as i can tell it seems to be implying that the germans are like responsible or know that franz ferdinand is going to be assassinated and it's all part of this master plan to like invade britain (laughs) <laughs> well, and, and, and that by the end of this movie, they've saved Britain from being invaded, but not stopped the First World War from starting. It's like it's, it's like that rapper says, I'm thinking of a master plan, but mm. nothing but sweat inside my hand. So make yeah. money, money, make money, money, money. Yeah. And, and I understand from a dramatic perspective, you want to make the Germans the villains. Uh, but also culturally, I don't think we really need a reason to make Germans villains. They're just very good at serving as villains just because they happen to be Nazis for a while. Mm-hmm. So – uh, but yeah, they have to make them villains. And, and, but also, let's not blame Germany <laughs> as if they plotted the assassination of Franz Ferdinand themselves. I'm pretty sure they didn't because it was a it was a big pain in the ass for them as well as us too. You know. Now to our Gen Z fans, when we talk about Franz Ferdinand, we're not talking about the band. We're talking you are about such an old the man. Archduke. The idea that Gen Z is listening to Franz <laughs> Ferdinand, you old old man. <laughs> Listen, you kids sitting around. Listening to Bing Crosby. I just want to let you know. Franz Ferdinand and your white stripes. Yeah, your Franz Ferdinand, your white stripes, your your Amy Winehouses. Oh yes, she was a treasure. Mm. Her daddy said go to rehab. And she said, you know what she said, Brendan? What she, she said? No. She said no. She said no. She said no. Yeah, so so the whole the whole invasion plot thing doesn't make any sense to me. But but the whole thrust of it is that he has information about it, and he's supposed to get it to Captain Kell, I think they say. Uh, I assume of the Kell Hounds from BattleTech. That's a fun joke that only a very few people will get, and I have to assume that none of them listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, they have to get it to Captain Kell, and and then that begins the the series of events as he's chased by police and 
and he ends his, he's in the Scottish countryside and and we have a few of the similar beats to what happens in the the 1935 version but it's weird Brendan it's very weird uh, I was reading like a yeah. summary of the book and like mm-hmm. the 1935 version while being very different in like kind of the setup and what is all going on because in the, the in the book and in this movie we don't have a Mr Mesmer <laughs> uh, Hannah is not Canadian. Um, but like, in, but there's these certain scenes that are they're in the 1935 version that are in the book that really aren't in this one. Uh, let me see here, the one that uh, uh, like the milkman scene. Unless I missed that, unless I was like oh, looking there, down. Well, the only thing with the milkman. So I mean, if we're talking about uh, similarities right off the bat, yeah, the only thing well. with the milkman is, do you remember in the original film um, when he first when I mean when the when the spy. Yeah. Uh, not the spy, but the what does she work for? The uh, intelligence, like British intelligence yeah. or something, secret, right? Secret intelligence or whatever. When, when he's when he's running out after she gets shot, I mean, he sees a milkman and he trades clothes with him. Remember? Yes. Yes. And but in this in this movie, the milkman is an assassin, a milkman assassin, if you will. So maybe that was just a fun nod back to the. I think. But, so. but, but he, he he looked like a milkman, but he also had a message for him. So I thought maybe he was a delivery guy, like or just like a messenger. <laughs> it was uh, it was weird, but special message from the milkman. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We did not have a scene uh, in, at the shepherd's house that was a brief side short film meditation on domestic violence. No, and I th- I thought that was like that might have been the best scene in that old, in the original movie. Yeah, that was a really really it was a weird scene and like weirdly tangential to the movie, but it was a good scene. And yeah, it's just not here at all. No. Um, would you would you say okay? So would you say this version is closer to the book? It is in some ways, um, okay. but like one thing that I gleaned from Wikipedia reading the summary of the book because I didn't feel like reading the whole book, Brendan. I'm damn not, you, damn you, Jason. I wasn't gonna read three quarters of it like I did with Bridge on the River Kwai. Jason, uh, you are in quarantine. You have lots of time. Well, no, I still work, Brendan. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm an essential service because people need cigarettes and lottery. That's true. Uh, that's very true. Thank you for um, your service. But no, in the so in the book, one of the big differences is that the group that is is uh, is after Hannah and looking for the secrets is called the Blackstone. And for some reason, they never mention that in the movies. I don't know why. Maybe they just figure it's gentle. They don't need it. Um, but like the thing that I notice is that in the book, I don't think there's a female character at all. Okay. And it seems like every version of the film, like film that's been done of it, they've added a female character. Now, again, I might have just glanced over it and not noticed. But uh, so if I'm just that stupid, uh, please, folks, let me know. I'm just going to look here quickly. Uh, well, I think. No, yeah, I think it, it you're just right. Seems like he's on, on his own the whole time, pretty much. I, he hooks up I with think, similar people. But yeah. Well, and do you think that's a thing? I mean, when you're reading a book, right, you can get some. You can get some uh, insight into the mind of a character. You get voiceovers, of which we do get some awkward voiceover in this movie too. But mm-hmm. you get a, you get some voiceover and stuff and insight. Whereas in a movie, it's harder to do that if it's just one character the whole time. Mm. Like yes. I feel like if it's two, you have someone to bounce off of. That's you right, because have... you don't hear that character's inner monologue at all. So you don't well, know what they're what they're going through, and you need that other character to help them work through those things that you can't normally portray. Unless you're just gonna have a movie full of monologues, and then you've got fucking Dune. Or or I guess a Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, I love those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's good versions and bad versions, like yes. Kevin Smith movies and Dune. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they're very similar. Very similar. Less whispering in um, Kevin Smith, though, that's for sure. <laughs> Unless you're Silent Bob. Mm. Although I guess he screams. He, he does at one point. And, and he's a very long monologue in Chasing Amy. Let's not forget that. That's true. He's not so silent. That's the joke. 
<laughs> it's funny. But what I was going to say is yes to that. Okay, so I think that like I think we have a sound theory here about the voiceover and like needing someone to bounce off of. Yeah. But like I felt like the voiceover that they did put into this movie was yeah. really unnecessary. How often is voiceover really necessary? Most of the time, it's a cop out because the movie, <laughs> the movie has some bad cuts in it, and they need it okay. to cover. I want to tell you about the most egregious example for me, anyway. Uh, it's when <laughs> what? Oh, I, I, I thought you meant a different movie. Just what? No, movie. no. <laughs> okay, this idiocracy. Movie. Yeah, idiocracy. It's got a narrator because they they fucking recut it on uh, Mike Judge, and I've I've always wanted to see what the original cut version of it was with no narrator. Oh, interesting. I actually yeah. like Idiocracy, but yeah, I like I Idiocracy like a lot. It's a fucking hilarious movie, uh, but uh, there's it's no, it's not perfect. Scared that we're living in it, but anyway, yeah, I know. We <laughs> um, love no. Peyton. <laughs> Terry Crews is basically Donald Trump in that movie. Yeah, absolutely, Donald so, Trump would ride down to the fucking. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't ride down to the State of the Union yet on a trike. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait. There's still another what year? Yeah, he's hopefully. Got so the thing is though. Yeah, so, okay, sorry, I'm going to start again. So, what? I, yeah, so the most egregious example, I think, of that in this movie is there's a scene early on where, okay, so we go through the beats. Um, Eddie Merson is running from someone trying to kill him. Yeah. He goes up to Hannah, tells him, like, you know, I have this urgent message that I need to get to Secret Service uh, about a plot. Um, I've got all this code written in my book. You need to get it to someone. I'm doomed. Like, I'm done for. They're going to kill me. They're going to get to me. Yeah. And he then Hane has this voiceover where he's like, call the Secret Service. How I, how does one even reach the Secret Service? And then he's like, operator, get me connected to the Secret <laughs> Service. Yeah. And she's like, wonder about it. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, hold, please. And I'm like, OK, it's it's a kind of like an amusing little joke. Yes. But it's such a cheap way to get past a plot inconvenience. But it doesn't really work out for him either because he can't get a hold of Captain Cal. That's true. And it, it kind of gives him away. So yeah. I guess that's the real reason. It gives him away. I guess. It just felt really, like, yeah. weirdly tacked on. Yeah. Um. Somehow I feel like Hitchcock could have done something similar and, and pulled it off in a way that was actually funny. Mm-hmm. And, and so in this movie, arguably, the politics factor way more into this plot than, mm-hmm. it, than the other movie. I feel like it's... Yeah barely a thing in the other one yeah i don't know that it even is specific because in this movie and in the book uh it's specifically referring to the eve of world war one so they're in the summer of 1914 but in the in the movie it's not a distinct like i i think it's assumed that it's they're talking about world war ii germany to some extent because it's like 1931 is that when the movie was made 1931 so it wouldn't even be actually that's funny because it wouldn't even be fully nazi germany yet because nazi germany wasn't really nazi germany fully until 1933 so it may have just been like you know random international politics but they didn't specifically try to make it like the world war one i'm wondering if they didn't specifically do that because hitchcock was like i'm gonna take a shot at these old nazis oh maybe by Uh, setting this in in a um you know an era that i don't really specifically call out because that's the thing is like, yeah, it, it, I don't think it's ever specifically clear who these bad guys are, like whether they're specifically Germans or not, because in I the book and in this so. movie, they are Germans. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Though this one, they are definitively Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, no, they're, they're, not, not, they're Germans. They're no Kaiserreich. Yes. Sorry. I'm not saying that every German is a Nazi. Let's no. just get let's just get that out of the way right now. There were plenty of loyal Jewish Germans who served in World War One. Sure. I agree. 
But yeah, so they, and they tie this into Archduke Ferdinand. Um, I honestly, like, I kind of think it's interesting how this one does tie it in a bit, a bit more. I got to give props because they yeah. actually went to make this movie. They they went to the effort to make it a little different. Like, there are scenes that are the same, like, obviously, because there are scenes in the book that they kept. Um, like, the scene where he gives that. Uh, it, it's just, I think it's good in this movie, too, is one of the better scenes is where he stumbles into that uh, town hall meeting. Yes. Uh, Richard, Richard Haney, and as he's on the run, they they go, oh, you must be the politician uh, that's running, or that, or 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 there to support the politician that's running. Yes. And he does this big speech, and uh, actually, just want to play a little bit of that speech right now because I think it's very funny. Go for it. You know what's wrong with this great nation? Smugness and complacency. You think because Great Britain has the largest overseas empire, because she does indeed rule the waves, that you're somehow impregnable. I do not believe you should be so sanguine in your friendships with Germany. The assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand proves that tensions between countries and alliances run dangerously high. That's Europe. What's that got to do with us? Well, you wouldn't be saying that if foreign boots were marching down your high street, would you? Surely, sir, surely that's warmongering. No, sir, it is a warning. Where do you stand on women, Mr. Twiston? What? (laughs) Where do you stand on women? As a rule, I try not to stand on women. (laughs) Wouldn't you agree that one way to defeat this smugness and complacency you speak of would be to give women the vote? I think you ladies should be grateful that you don't have to get your petticoats dirty fighting for your country, Miss Sinclair. And yeah, so there that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you cannot tell, we are not playing them live <laughs> for us. <laughs> but we assume that it was great. What I liked about this version of it was that they just did a slight twist on it because in the original one, I think he get pulled he, he gets pulled into a Tory party meeting. Yes. Uh, and in this one, he gets pulled into a Liberal Party meeting, yeah. uh, which uh, English Liberal Party, I think, is they're much more business minded. And this movie is cocky because it's like, hey, we're going to make this dude a fucking sexist and you're still yeah. going to like him. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I mean, to be fair, though, who wasn't back then? There weren't too many dudes that, that were actually on the side of suffragette. I mean, there were. OK, I'm not going to I don't want to undersell the uh, liberal progressive men of the early 20, 20th century. But here know, we it was go. Much more common, certainly, to uh, not take the ladies seriously. And you what? see that throughout the course of the movie. Cause he's making he, he keeps making comments about the suffragettes like, oh, you. Yeah, you suffragettes, which was very common at the time. What is he, a 1920s gangster? Well, not quite. He's not there yet. After yeah, you'll you suffragettes. Yeah, yeah, see? Yeah, you want the vote, see? Well, you can't have it, can you? Broads, you got to be home in the kitchen. Oh, actually, the thing he says that actually made me kind of laugh, but also was like one of their things. It's like his his nice approach to it. It's like, oh, you don't want the vote. You don't want to involve yourself in this. You should be happy you don't have to deal with this crap that we have yeah. to deal with as men. You don't, you don't want to dirty your petticoat. Exactly. Um, what I actually really appreciate about this version, and I'm going to go on record. I mean, we're going to go ahead at the end and say what we thought about it. I didn't hate this. No. I, I, oh, no, your tone tells me something. <laughs> um, I didn't know. I, I didn't no, hate I, this. I will say on record, too, I did not hate this movie. I don't think it's a very good movie, but I, was, I wasn't I was bored. 
I mean, if the if the Hitchcock version didn't exist, this would be a you would think Fine. of this as a perfectly solid take on uh, a book. At worst, it feels unnecessary. Yes. But, I mean, it is. It's clearly unnecessary. I mean, yes, they have obviously. the perfect version of this movie or of this book. It, it is completely unnecessary. The, the, the 30s one is the only one you need to watch, honestly. Yeah. Um, but what I did like about this movie is that they take the female character, who's yeah. like a suffragette, and they make her a suffragette. They make her – I mean, we got another twist coming later. But they make her this um, kind of empowering female figure who yeah. obviously – I mean, obviously Hitchcock's movie was in 1935. That was a rare thing to have in yes. a movie of that that day. But I do kind of like how they modernize her a little bit. Yeah, no, that she's a much more active uh, character. Even though I will say the, the the lady in the 1935 version for the time seemed like she was pretty involved and active, but it went mu- even further with this version where she specifically is a suffragette. And then at the end of the film, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it yet, maybe turn this off and go watch the fucking movie. Um, uh, she is working for British secret intelligence, so which she's is a not twist only, that it, yeah. Yeah, there's not not only is she a suffragette, and she says I'm both a suffragette and uh, a spy. <laughs> yeah, because that and that is not the twist in the Hitchcock version. No, in the Hitchcock movie, she is just along for the ride. In this one, she, I mean, she she is an active participant. I will grant grant that to you. She's she's not like you know a damsel in distress or anything like that. But yeah. I do feel in this, she has a lot more agency. Mm. Yes, um, absolutely. One and she clearly does because she fucking picks picks pocket the pickpockets the book from him and hides yeah. it, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and goes and, through this whole thing. I mean, she has all these interesting things like she has a photographic memory. She has, uh, she 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 matches him and his like quick wit and everything. Actually, you she know is what, Mr. Mesmer. I <laughs> I almost thought it was a little disappointing that she was revealed to be an agent because I almost just like like oh man. You had this female character, this suffragette. You couldn't just let her be this, like, cool, talented, like, ahead-of-her-time woman, like, oh, it's because she's been trained and fucking ag- as an agent. Well, you could also take the tack that it makes her that much cooler that she's a suffragette, but she's also a fucking spy. She's a woman who is living her best life in the early part of the 20th century, which was not easy to do. Right, but it's almost like that thing in Wonder Woman where Wonder Woman's great. And you see her kicking ass for like 90% of the movie, but just with like, you know, her, her own like strengths, you know, nothing like magic or anything. And then when you find out in the last 10% spoiler alert of that movie that she is an actual God, it kind of takes something away from it. It's just like, oh, so she didn't have that because she was just an awesome badass girl. It's just, oh, also she has these powers. Well, I mean, are, are all superheroes gods to some extent? I mean, not to the not to the point where one, that Wonder Woman is though. Like she's say, literally this, revealed as like a god. <laughs> say Mar- Marvel went the other way with Thor, rather than him being a god as he was initially. He went and became. It's like, oh no, he's a space alien. Oh, I love those movies. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do, baby. <laughs> Put them on the list. Okay. So yeah, I I, I just think that's that goes. Um, that's a it's good. Kind of an interesting thing is that they modernized her character a bit. Yes. Well, and it's funny to think because this is the one reason I would actually want to watch the other ones just to see the different takes. Because you have the original book that has no female character really. And then you have these movies that add a female character each time. And it would be interesting to see the different takes on how they think that female character should fit in to the movie. And I think 
I'm not I, going to, but I, I to. <laughs> Jason, you know what next week's next week's assignment is. <laughs> Two more versions of the 39 steps. <laughs> We're going to do this until the fucking virus is dead. <laughs> they keep making them. We'll keep watching them. They keep making them. Wait, viruses? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll check that's each Jason's, one out. That's Jason's hot take is a Chinese conspiracy. <laughs> it's our new podcast, uh, Bioweapons <laughs> from Around the World. I love it. Sounds like it sounds like a show that would air on PBS. Uh, just in the interest of full disclosure, uh, as far as we can tell, this is not a bioweapon. It's pretty clear this is a naturally occurring disease. <laughs> Thank you, Jason, for uh, making sure people don't think we're we're Alex Jones radio show or something. And now back to the show. <laughs> so you were saying, I'm, Brendan, I'm cutting that and making you look like a lunatic. <laughs> So it's good. I love the fact that they made her such a strong character because I'm going to say this, and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, Jason, so brace yourself. Hit me up. I'm, I'm ready. I'm braced. I think that Rupert Penry Jones as Richard Hanny mm. is a fucking bore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he is a that. bore. Like, I kind of like their chemistry, Like, and I think that's maybe more on her. He's not terribly interesting. He's just the most, like, workman choice, it seems like, they could have got for this role because he, he looks the part. He kind of looks like um, – What's his face from the original? Uh, uh, Robert Donnett. Yes, he kind of has that Robert Donnett look about him with the blonde hair and the, the hairstyle and everything. It's like they lined up a series of pictures and said, yep, that's the guy. He looks like him. Bring him in. I think I think what bothers me the most is that I think he thinks he's James Bond. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I actually it's funny you say that because uh, from what little bit of uh, ancillary stuff I've read, that's kind of how he wanted this movie to be. That's kind of how he thought of uh, him playing the character was playing it kind of in a James Bondian way. And that's why he was the one that insisted that they have the uh, throwback to um, North by Northwest with the plane. Oh, which. Oh, my God. <laughs> just put that aside for one second. <laughs> right, um, I that. do. I do want to touch that. Put a pin in that for a second. But. Yeah, so he he he's doing it like Bond, which goes against everything that the that the other movie is. Yeah. Because this is supposed to be like a wrongfully accused man on the run, yeah, a guy who's in over his guy. head. Yeah, just some guy. And what happens in one of the first scenes? I knew we were in trouble when mm. Scudder goes in and pulls a gun, and Hannay is just ready with his gun, like yeah. like a Bond. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, this is not supposed it's to like, be like a suave, debonair, like, dashing no. spy. Dude was in the engineers in the Boer War. Now, sure, he has a certain set of skills, but being a suave, kind of, like, secret agent-type dude is not the kind of skills you get in the engineers. <laughs> Would you say that he has a very particular set of skills? He does have a very particular set of skills, which is why I believe it when he's able to deal with the explosives uh, when they're in the basement and blow their way out. I get that stuff. I just I just don't get the like suit wearing, yeah, no. dashing, charming thing. And no, that's what's so what was so charming about Robert Donnett's performance was that, yeah, he really did play it. It's just this guy that's caught up in it. He's not, you know, well versed in this, but he's trying to do what he thinks is right. And I think, like you said, they have good chemistry. I agree. I think they do have good chemistry, him and uh, and Lydia. Mm. But um, we're on a first name basis. Um, <laughs> but the the scene where they finally have their kiss, mm. that was weird to me. Yeah. It was. <laughs> did it seem weird to you? It did seem. It just yeah. It's just. It it's like neither weird. neither actor wanted to do it. <laughs> I mean, and this is after we already had a, an extremely prolonged uh, uh, wound, uh, sensual wound healing scene where they rubbed each other with salve. 
Oh, well, that was ridiculous. Yeah, it just felt like, why did that go on for so long? And and I'm a Star Trek fan, Brendan, and in the pilot to Star what? Trek Enterprise, they, they uh, there's a scene where they rub themselves with gel, and, and it was went on way too long, and that's exactly what I was thinking of when I was watching this scene. It's like, why is this here? Is this the sex appeal they needed for this movie in this one scene? Jason, hold on. You need to back up a second. Did you say you're a Star Trek fan? Uh, it's it's uh, something I don't tell a lot of people, but it is true. Just don't get, uh, don't don't let it spread around. Get out of town. I'm staying right here, sir. That's, That's what the idea. government's told me. That's right. Guys, but, uh, wash your hands. Also, before I forget, gonna point out. Did you notice? I I don't know if they filmed that uh, scene where they're in the bedroom in the same fucking room as in the 1931 version, but it sure fucking looked like it. Oh yeah, it did, didn't it? It just had the. I mean, it was that style of room, maybe, but just like the dark walls and the the where the bed was and everything. Like it looked like the same exact room. And I mean, and it's interesting that they don't. So that's one of the the big differences in that scene as compared to the uh, Hitchcock. I keep wanting to say the original. Is it is yeah. the 1935 one the original version? I think of the it's movie? the first. I think it's the first version, the first okay. film version. Well, let's, let's, let, yeah. I'm just gonna keep saying original because it's the first like film version that we know of anyway. Yeah. Um, I could be completely wrong, and if I am, I think there might have been me. a silent film version uh, done early on, but I think this was at least the first talkie. So. In the original film, wait, this movie in 2008 was the first talkie? Yes, the first talkie ever made. It was a bit <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah, Knocked Up was a weird movie to watch without uh, <laughs> silent, <laughs> silent Knocked Up. But the thing, the, the big difference here is that they're not, uh, they're not chained together. No. Like you remember the original when they end up in this room, they end up chained together, and they're very much at odds with each other. Yes. Like they kind of have this playful back and forth of like, oh, I have to spend the day with you, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. in this one, it's very much like, oh, put salve on my back. Oh, yeah. let it's, me get yours. They're there. They're pretending for the sake of being able to get a room uh, uh, from the landlady that is unfortunately not nearly as prominent or horny as the uh, one in the 1935 version. <laughs> that landlady was so horny for some yeah. married couple boning. I know I, I did like this landlady's performance. She just didn't get much screen time. And like I say, not very horny. So <laughs> not very horny. So what's the point? That's a T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, that it is. is. A, we, that is we, a fucking T-shirt. Right check there. out our cafe press uh, for our screening country for screening country. Uh, that's <laughs> cafepress.com slash the number four screen and country. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, no, it sucks. What's that? The music sucks. The music sucks. In that scene and in a great deal of the movie, the music is not not great. Oh, it just feels like placeholder music. I oh, do. It's just so TV. It's so TV library music. Okay, I don't mind the music at the very beginning. The, I guess the, okay. the rapid fire spy chase thing at the beginning. I think mostly I didn't mind it because I was relieved that, number one, this movie was 85 minutes long. Yes. And number two, it it gets right into it. It moves. I think yeah. it moves. Um, whether that's a good or a bad thing is up to interpretation. No, and it, it uh, yeah, it is made to 2008 standards, so it doesn't, uh, yeah, it doesn't just hang around like some uh, older movies might. Yeah, so yeah. like some fucking mall rat. Yeah, exactly. It, stuffing stuffing his hand down his pants and eating pretzels. Oh, one one interesting thing, just a slight difference, uh, is that in the beginning of the Hitchcock version, the the spy that shows up is a lady. Yes. Versus Eddie Marzan as uh, Scudder, and then that is who that is in the book as well. Yeah. So it is a it is a uh, a man in the book, right? Because I remember. Yes. I remember. I do remember we talking about that and mentioning that. Yeah, they did. They did uh, change it to a female character at the beginning, and I'm wondering 
if that's to tie in to the female that helps him later in the Hitchcock movie. Could be, um, or I, I like to, th- I, I think it's just Hitchcock, you know, Hitchcock was the sort that he would want to put a woman in that role. I was going to say that. Do you want to put a woman in danger? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm not look, saying he had, he had good motives for her, but he liked, he liked having women in prominent roles in his movies, if nothing else, especially blondes. You can, you know it. Yeah. Just watch rear window for the first time. That movie's wonderful. God damn you, Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> well, I'm looking so, out my window. <laughs> well, but see, look at all these people just, just, just making dinner and, and cleaning their homes and, and fucking, oh, they all fuck all the time. I just pictured him doing the, uh, the, that living color song. Look out my window. What do I see? A murder not involving me. Folks, do a remix of that based on that audio now. Yes, grab it and go. So, I, yeah, and I do think I do think going back to the voiceover thing for a bit, I feel like this movie really holds our hand. Mm. Do you find yeah. that? Did you find that? Because I think in the in the original one, um, the plot kind of unravels in an interesting way, and they they don't really like you know lead you lead you into it by the hand, but you know it's it's fairly easy to figure out. But I feel like this one is so plainly laid yeah. out. Do you even see the scenes? That's 2008 TV sensibility, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we talked about that last week too, right? With the Wicker Man between yeah. the remake and the original. That's just, that's just um, not necessarily even TV, but just 2008. That's yeah. modern days. Um, not always, but there's there's a certain knack if you want to reach a wide audience of like over-explaining stuff. Yeah, I, I wonder the difference between the Wicker Man and uh, its remake was that that remake was interesting and it was clearly were, made by people who love the film. I thought you were gonna say the difference between the Wicker Man and the Thirty Nine Steps <laughs> <laughs> is Nicholas Cage. Well, why don't we remake the Thirty Nine Steps with Nicholas Cage? I'd be down for that. I'm in one thousand percent. But he plays the woman. Definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, like. This is what I'm saying is that so, yeah, Wicker Man is an interesting take on it made by people that are clearly big fans of the original film. And and while it doesn't always work, it is a real like unique kind of spin on that idea. This feels like a very workmanlike kind of retread of the novel and and some of the uh, movie and that one scene from North by Northwest. Uh, And just feels like why? I want to talk about. I'm still, yeah, still yeah. waiting on that one. <laughs> but, but why does it even exist? So let's talk about that scene. Let's. Well, why does this movie exist, and why do we have this scene? I, I was just going to actually, before we touch on that, I do want to build up to that, Jason. All right. Because I want to mention something. You you mentioned that this is very workmanlike and very, like, doesn't feel like a whole lot of, it doesn't feel like a loving kind of tribute to the original yeah. film. Yeah, it feels um, like a vanity project for a, a mediocre actor. <laughs> well, when this movie was, yeah. Yeah, Rupert Penry Jones, world famous. Um <laughs> When this movie was announced or when this, you know, television movie was announced, they had said, they said, and I quote, with this adaptation, we wanted to stay faithful to the spirit and period of the book. Mm -hmm. But we asked the writer to feel free to reimagine it for a modern audience more familiar with James Bond and Jason Bourne. So there's no like we're reaching back to, you know, embrace the original film. They also said that um, the uh, the director of this uh, movie or the writer, I think, was kind of braced, bracing himself for complaints 
mm. um, for the from the fans of the previous uh, portrayals of this of this book. Yeah, because because she, uh, she went to base it on the book rather than the original, the, rather, rather than the films. And that was a big sticking point for a lot of people. Mm. As much as, you know, as a general audience, we don't like we as a general audience, we are averse to remakes. Yes. I would argue we are averse to remakes. We are averse to sequels that come 20 years later. It's just not something we as a general audience get on board with most of the time. And well, they're thinking, Brendan, they keep making them and people keep going to see them. <laughs> a lot of them are tanking though that's the thing yeah that's the thing some of them um, yeah for sure some of them are and, and and so i mean you have this thing this this back and forth of like well we don't want you to tarnish the original but you know we also don't want you to ignore the original and i think it's too much of of one side it's the problem i've always had with remakes where it's like a lot of times if you have a good movie there's not really a reason to remake it unless you do have a good reason and if you don't have a good reason and you're going to remake it then you may as well try to do something different with it because otherwise why are you even bothering like i i appreciated the experiment that was you know that remake of psycho but ultimately it was like why would you even bother yeah <laughs> the movie was already whole, made that's such a weird remake yeah they they had to add that Vince Vaughn masturbating scene though. Obviously, but it's like it's it's like a, it's a cool film school thing. Like the idea of watching the two and comparing them and seeing kind of the different approaches or how yeah. the you know the uh, who was it that did it? Was it Wes Craven? No, it was Wes no, Craven. it was no, it was uh, Gus Van Sant. Gus Van Sant, right? The Gus Which, Van Sant would try to do that shit himself. Like yeah, that's neat. That's really cool. That's up there with like the the two versions of that Exorcist movie. But it doesn't mean that they're good movies anybody wants to watch. Right, right, and and. Yeah, that that movie is more interesting, like you said, as a kind of a social experiment. Yeah. Um, as a kind of like, oh, they went and did this. Hmm. Yeah. Neat. Neat. Yeah. Rather exactly. than being like a good movie. Mm. It's like it's um, just, you can't just you can't just recreate a movie from the ground up and have it be nearly as good because a movie is clearly more than this just the sub of its parts. You know. Right. So before we, the last thing I want to say before we get to the biplane scene is apparently nearly every vehicle in this movie is historically inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, they're all like cars from the 20s. And it's because, yeah, exactly. If you were in 1914 trying to have car chases and shit with the jalopies that they had at that time, yeah, it wouldn't have been very exciting. Yeah, these are these guys are having the fastest like modern car chases with these shit bu- like shitbird cars. Like, like cars that terrible. probably couldn't go more than 25 or 30 miles an hour at a clip. Yeah, the, nobody has these fucking cars anymore. Like, unless they're sitting in the garage. And they the didn't have them dead because they were still dead years in the future. That's right. So there you go. All right, Jason, we need to talk about the fucking biplane scene. Yeah, yeah. So, so North North by Northwest. Fantastic right? movie. Fantastic movie. One of Hitchcock's best, maybe his best. It's mm. up there. It's definitely up there. Um, one of the most famous scenes in that movie is Cary Grant encountering a biplane. Yeah. Um. The the I would would you argue that the best part of that whole scene is the build up? Yes. Because of him the, of him seeing it and like kind of like staring at it and then watching it slowly come closer and closer and closer and then finally he's like, oh fuck and he just takes off yeah. But even before that, I mean, he's told to go out there and meet someone right mm. with information. So he goes out there. He sees a bus. A bus drops someone off across the street. He walks over to that man. There's a lot of tension. That's a total red herring. He's got nothing to do with it. And all we see in the background is just that biplane just going around and, you know, going over the crops. Yes. Um, and, and then we learn something quick like, oh, it's weird that they're dusting the crops at this time of year, whatever it was. And that's 
that's the that's the fucking that's when the scene hits you and you're like oh shit like some yeah. that's when you know something's up and of course the stunt work with with the actual biplane is amazing for that time period especially yes. it still looks good oh yeah um in this movie though yeah <laughs> they just fucking throw that in yeah for no real reason it, it's such a nothing scene and that plane that plane is also about 10 years in the future uh from what was existing at that time because this is 1914 world war one hasn't even started yet so no. air power is very very primitive <laughs> right and and it just feels so again like a lot of this movie and i'm at such like a i'm at such like a uh, crossroads right here because I'm not uh, starring Britney Spears. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not totally shitting on this, but I'm not really embracing it either. Like I just feel like this is okay. You know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of when we watched Lawrence After Arabia. Yeah. And they had that fucking shot of the motorcycle scene. Yes, for no it's reason. Like, why do that? For your little nod to the original, whatever. But why do it if you're just gonna do it shitty? And and then and of course in Lawrence in that movie doing it so that he doesn't die after the he kind of goes off the road it's a weird thing to take it this one at least it's just kind of a straight take on that it's like oh look there's a biplane and he's coming real low and he jumps down on the ground and a blade plane flies overhead and that's in that movie we liked but that's but that's it yeah like it doesn't tie into anything it just no. kind of him one of the obstacles he has to overcome. And it's weird that they took that from North by Northwest. I don't understand. Um, and it, other it's than... funny after, after last week seeing such a brilliant in an open field moment where Nicholas cage accidentally runs into a beehive somehow, uh, <laughs> yes. like after seeing that, this is just like, come on guys, use your, use your creative juices. And, and, and from what I understand, this is a Rupert Penry Jones demand, right? Yes. Yes. I believe he was uh, quite insistent that they have this reference to a North by Northwest because he rightfully loves the movie. And I understand because it's a great fucking movie. doesn't mean you should be doing it just for no reason. Yeah. That's like that's like me saying, fuck, I love Star Wars. You know, in this scene, can we just have a lightsaber fight? Can we just have a Death Star explode? <laughs> can we just cut to footage of the Death Star exploding from the first film? Can we just watch the entirety of Star Wars in the middle of this movie? <laughs> the characters are also watching it. Wait, what is this, Spaceballs? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's Spaceballs slash Mystery Science Theater slash uh, Jason watches a movie. Like, who does this fucking Rupert Penry Jones think he is? Let's just yeah. Right there. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know who he is because this is the only thing I ever, I've ever seen him in that I'm aware of. So. I mean, he was in Match Point. He was oh, in the, the, the Disney classic Red Tails um the, he the, was the uh, flying movie i guess so yeah he was, was in a he was in a show called spooks which i'm really scared of what that is about that um, is about i think mi5 or something like secret agents okay thank god because that just title sate your mind <laughs> thank god because that title could go many different ways absolutely um he's in the strain yeah i don't know if he had like any pull or if he was just like oh can we have a fucking biplane scene eh? Well, it's BBC. It's government money. He's just like, yeah, fuck it. Spend the taxpayers' money. And you know what BBC stands for? British biplane chase. Big black cock. I mean, <laughs> wait, that's what, what I thought it. Uh, isn't that what it stands for? Mr. Penry Jones, uh, what did you just say, <coughs> sir? Oh, don't, don't, don't pay no attention to me. I'm quite drunk. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Penry in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Robert Penry. Well, what's his name? Rupert. Rupert? Rupert Penry Jones? Yeah. Is that it? Penry Jones? Robert Penry. Jason, oh, how Penry many Jones. movies have we watched now with Rupert Penry Jones? 
well, let's see. Uh, we got Black Beauty. Nope. Bent. Nope. Food of Love. Nope. The Tribe. Nope. Hillary and Jackie. Nope. Still crazy. I did see that movie many years ago. Wow. Uh, that's, that's virtual awesome. Sexuality. Unfortunately, I have not seen that movie. So, uh, guys, if you're keeping tri- if you're keeping score at home, Jason has seen what's that movie again? So I've seen Still Crazy from still 1998. Still Crazy. He's I've seen. Also I've also seen The Four Feathers from 2002. So Jason has seen Still Crazy and The Four Feathers has not seen Jaws, just for those keeping score at home. <laughs> One of these days. Oh, he was in Fatherland, the TV show version of the uh, alternate uh, history book by Robert Harris. So I want to say <laughs> – I have no idea what that is. We talked about, we talked about the, um, the acting and stuff. And, and, yeah, I think Lydia Leonard is actually a pretty, pretty good bright spot in this movie. Oh, that, the girl's got a smile that light up a room. She's, she's great, right? Yeah, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. So what do we talk about the, um, the way the, – where this movie goes? Because we talked about the twist where she is an agent. Yep. She, she's basically um, – with him to, so that they can they can they know at all times where the Germans are because the Germans are after this code code book right this book yes. of code because it talks about their plan or their it plot. has the British fleet details or something in it right so after we find out she's an agent then we find out other things like her uncle is involved in it and that's the biggest like uh, masterpiece <laughs> masterpiece theater like dedu- yeah. deducing of the clues scene. Yeah. Like but it's just who like, is here and the cigarettes? Oh, the cigarettes and he has a flashback. I, I did clearly if the cigarettes are the same, then it's that guy. He's the only guy that smokes those cigarettes. And it made no it's sense to me. Did, did you feel like when? Okay, so when they're trying to figure out that it's like her uncle, that's the that's basically the um the double agent. Yeah. Right, working for the Germans and in the uh, Secret Service or whatever he's supposed to be. Did you find it was weird that um? Hanny was the one who remembered the cigarettes. Like, wouldn't it make more sense if she did? Cause she has like the photographic memory. Yeah. If she had noticed them and like put two and two together, like, Oh, those are my uncle's cigarettes. Interesting connection. But yeah, maybe, and then, maybe it took Hannah's leap of faith because maybe she was just too smart to make that connection. Cause she'd be like me going like, well, lots of people smoke lots of different types of cigarettes. Just cause you see one brand of cigarettes that your uncle smokes. Doesn't mean he was fucking there. Lots of people smoke them. That's right. The only time I would ever suspect someone based on cigarettes would be if Quentin Tarantino committed a murder and I saw a pack of red apples. Absolutely. That would be the that's, first person you would go to. That's the only time. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he has cartons of fucking red apple cigarettes that he's had custom made that he just gives out to people at his house. Oh, I'm sure. Wait, you, you're saying that Quentin Tarantino smokes or puts drugs into his body? I'm saying that he's more than happy to, to put those drugs and smokes into other people's bodies so they'll hang out with him and talk about movies. I would love to watch movies with that guy. Would you be willing to do that amount of cocaine? I I pretend I do the whole closed nostril. <laughs> Ooh yeah, wow man, I'm so amped up. Ooh, that is the shit right there. You you got the good stuff, Q. <laughs> <laughs> You're real cutie. <laughs> and then you drink. Uh, I'm uh, all this separation anxiety has got me making these terrible jokes, Jason. I know it's it's hard, but we could do this. We got we this. We're going to um, make our dreams come true, <laughs> doing it our way. Because you and I are like the Laverne and Shirley of podcasting. I think that's been said about us. Um, almost every iTunes review, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we, we, often, we often uh, work on the same conveyor belt and then absolutely. put our, our heads in our hands looking down like, oh, brother. 
we have those two creepy guys that keep coming around to bother us. Uh, you yeah. know, Al- Alec Guinness and Peter Cushing. They're always bothering oh. us. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, yeah, this movie. Oh, the movie. This movie we were talking about. The 39 Steps. Um, oh, I, just a couple of random notes here. Yeah. This is a thing that bothers me in every movie where this happens. Um, oh, actually, no, sorry. We should we should go back for a second. So what do you think about the whole thing where the uncle is involved? Like, it's a, it's, I think it's just like a dumb I scene. I mean, it, it's fine. It's, you know, it's it's a spy movie. So that's the kind of shit you see in a spy movie. And By the way, Hitchcock would hate that because, as we know, if Hitchcock has a twist in his movie, he reveals it very early on. So people are not constantly guessing. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, the, the, a lot of um, very um, inspired by that is uh, Brian De Palma. Mm. Yeah, well, he'll never reveal like the um, the villain usually at the end. He'll usually mm. do like the twist about forty five minutes or so in. You know, pulls the snake eyes. If anyone's seen, yeah, well, that. that's it. That's that's, I was just film. thinking about snake eyes. Yeah, the, the, we we learned that pretty early in the movie of who the bad guy is. Yeah, and it's it's a very so I think like something like this Hitchcock would scoff at and be like, ugh, I didn't make a whodunit. Like, what is this garbage? And just for the listeners' note, uh, we did watch Snake Eyes for his other podcast. We both we both don't just have an in depth knowledge of Snake Eyes to offhandedly reference it. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> what were they thinking? The episode where Nathan and I and Jason talk about Snake Eyes, starring a psychotic Nicolas Cage. One of his uh, one of his more muted psycho roles. Well. He has that's not moments. what we're talking about. No, we're not that's talking about Snake Eyes. You go go so, listen to that. Yeah, so anyway, what I was going to say, one of the scenes that really irks me in movies like this, or any kind of movie really, is you have a scene, okay, so you know at the beginning, or near the beginning, where um, Scudder's been shot, and yes. Hannay makes it out, and he runs into a policeman. He's literally mm. got blood all over his shirt. Yeah. And he's like, yes, yes, uh, someone's been shot. And they go upstairs, and he does this thing it characters do sometimes where they're obviously in a situation that where they look guilty mm-hmm. and he does this thing where he like explains it in a stupid, like ridiculous way that a, a normal person just hearing that would be like, what? Yeah. Like, like there no, Ooh, it just bugs me so much. It's like, you know, this whole movie could have been avoided if you had just stopped and slowly explained what happened. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that I wonder, like if it, 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 it seems so dumb in a movie but that it might actually work in real life because real life so often doesn't really huge dramatic standards. And then I could see some guy like just pulling off a dumb, like Ricky like story uh, and, and just getting out of it, you know, but in a movie, it always, yeah. When that happens, it just seems like really good. Come on, seriously, guys, let's you, you people are fictional characters. You're smarter than humans actually are. <laughs> it's like that dumb thing in, um, in a comedy where the guy gets caught cheating on the girl yeah, and, and, and or something like that. And he just goes like, or, or no, sorry, he's not actually cheating, but they're, they're caught in a compromising position. Yes. And instead of just being like, whoa, hold on, st- hold the phone. Yeah. This is clearly what was happening. This is silly. You caught me in the worst possible time. They're just like, babe, wait, it's not what it looks like. Babe. Yeah. It's like, yeah. fuck off no, Nobody wants to stick around and actually try to hear an explanation uh, just, of what's going it, on. It drives me nuts. It's a trope yeah. that I do not like. <laughs> it's on notice. I'm going to play the clip here, but it's the um, the scene where Hene is is just after he manages to escape and he's just kind of hanging out uh, outside the balcony and he has a chat with the neighbor girl. This is just mm. an example of we talked about the whole James Bond thing. Yeah. And he's trying to like it's it's overly like debonair and suave yeah. and like, oh, hello, girly. Anyway, just listen to the clip. I'm so sorry. Did I start you? I've been in a bit of a dust up, I'm afraid. An affair of the heart. 
Our brother's determined to separate us. Still, who can blame him? All I have to offer is love. My rival comes with 10,000 acres and a herd of prize pigs. How comforting to see such an enchanting smile. Thank you. I don't suppose... No. No, I couldn't possibly impose on your good nature. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems very, like... It's just not this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird to me. Real silly. Well, yeah, um, exactly. And, and it just comes back to the, he's doing a take on the character that really isn't that character. That this character shouldn't have any, like tension for this he shouldn't have any skill in this he should just be kind of being dragged along and trying to do what he thinks is the right thing in the situation and yeah he's got more going on than that jason i can't believe we almost went past this scene we almost didn't talk about the scene i have written down in bold Mm -hmm. the puppet scene yeah that was a weird one wasn't it kind of explain how this goes so he gets on the train and you know he's trying to hide out from the police and and in the original film uh he's like gets into a train cabin with three other guys who are just kind of talking about the murder and he's just trying to hide his face the whole time but in this one he gets in with a priest and a priest wants to see the paper because he wants to look at the cricket scores but his picture's in the paper and he doesn't want to hand it over and then he ends up getting into a cabin with a fucking uh a ventriloquist who's got his own little dummy there and he's having a conversation with the dummy the dummy's like nah i used to be the best and now i'm nobody and i'm stuck with this drunk i'm thinking of leaving him like just a weird comedy moment that doesn't really fit with the movie not and at then all. They, no not at all and then they they do the the switch where uh which actually that was kind of clever where they put um Hane in the guy's cloak and hat and had the hat over his face and he was holding the dummy and the ventriloquist is sitting across from him and the ventriloquist throws his voice to the dummy uh the dummy's like yeah he went that away <laughs> did you but the most ridiculous part of this whole scene is that did you notice like after the cop kind of runs away that now keep in mind hannah is holding the dummy yeah the dummy does this like slow look yeah yeah exactly the, the, and like the, <laughs> eyebrow raise i'm yeah. like what the fuck are you talking about and it's just he he's in it to win it he wants to <laughs> He had to punctuate it. He was going to let that dummy be dead. Like, did the filmmakers forget that, like, what the context (laughs) of the scene is? Turns out he was a ventriloquist when he was in Africa. He helped entertain the boys. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the fucking happy time murders. Like, what's going on here? Wow. Yeah, that was a weird one. Uh, I I wanted to point out there's uh, when the police at one point catch – well, not the police. I think it's the Germans. They catch Hane, and they're holding him, and the German punches him. He punches him in such a way that it looks like he just uppercuts him in the balls. <laughs> like, he just full on, and it just, it hit me when I was watching it. I went, oh, oh my, oh, that must have hurt. I mean, he probably was hitting him in the stomach, but just the way he did it in my head made it look like he just full on punched him straight in the balls. Right, in the so think about that. Yeah, think about it, deduce it, mm. commit it to memory, uh, write a report on it, send it in. Anything else? Sign, seal, delivered. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jason, I'm going to talk about how this was received, but do you have anything else you want to mention before we do that? Uh, no. Uh, I, I appreciated that uh, the, the bit of him feeding him breakfast and saying that, you know, no, nothing seems so bad after a fried egg. I just I uh, like which, that moment. 
Of which I have to say, gross. <laughs> I like a nice fried egg, and if I was uh, a few minutes from death, I'd be happy to have one last breakfast. Do not care for eggs. So I Hot guess that's take? what I'm saying to the fans out there. If you're going to kill me, please feed me before you do so. With a fried egg. It could be a fried egg. It could be a fried chicken. I'm not picky. Okay. What about a chicken egg? I mean, that's generally the eggs we use. All right. Don't you get cocky. <laughs> no, this guy. Jason, this movie, this television movie was watched at the time when it aired, which was on December 28th, uh, 2008. It was supposed to air on Boxing Day, but it was postponed. Um, it it uh, was seen by 7.3 million people. Wow. It had a 28% audience share. And it went up against the Top Gear Vietnam special on BBC Two. And it, and it outperformed that one. It outperformed it. That's crazy. Um, it received mostly negative reviews. Yeah. Because a lot of people said it didn't match up to Hitchcock's 1935 version. Of course. There's, it's not How even close. How can you improve upon that? I mean, that's impossible. Um, one reviewer from The Guardian felt that the romance scene, I think we talked about it, was really silly. And uh, said that, you know, it doesn't have the pace or the moodiness or the wit of the original. Uh, a lot of people, uh, David Damien Love of the Sunday Herald felt that the tepid pace was set by the casting of Henry Jones. He said, quote, this is pretty vicious. He has a style reminiscent of the young Roger Moore, but without the vital animating spark of self-deprecation. As Hannah, Henry Jones is not at his best and more reminiscent of a well-stuffed armchair on wheels. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> that is that is a that is a harsh take. Um, uh, probably accurate, I would say. <laughs> Robert Hanks, I'm assuming this is a relative of Thomas. Um, Brother-in-law. By the end, my impression was that several pages of the plot must have been eaten by a dog or a bored actor, and the director had decided, sod it, nobody's going to keep watching this long, which I wouldn't have if I wasn't being paid. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> Seven thumbs some, up, eh? <laughs> there, there were some positive comments, though. Um, in the Sunday Times, uh, a writer named A.A. A. Gill uh, praised Henry Jones and said that it was racially paced, which I don't know what that means. No. But he says the closest to the book and by far and away the most convincing, which you are a crazy person. Um, another reviewer named Roz Laws said that he pro- uh, said that Henry Jones proved to be just as good a spy in 1914 as he was in Spooks, only more dashing. Okay. Um, and Allison Graham of the Radio Times said um, that Henry Jones is just perfect which is, again, insane to me. But she did say that Victoria was a splendid suffragette. And uh, the best review, though, Jason, this is the most British review I could find, mm. is uh, Alistair McKay of the Herald said, quote, it was all rather spiffing and well-mannered. <laughs> yep, that def- that defines it right there. That is that is the the most yeah the most like British review. As everyone was on the best behavior. Yes, everybody did quite well. Yeah. So Jason, overall, what did you uh, what did you think about this one? Uh Brennan. Yeah. File this movie in the same file as Lawrence After Arabia Ooh. and the remake of Doctor Zhivago. This Ooh. is this is a movie that is currently in the collection of a substitute teacher somewhere that I want to punch right in the fucking mouth to waste my time on a school afternoon saying, oh, we'll watch this color remake because the kids will like it better than the original. And he's wrong. He's fucking wrong. And he should be in pain because of it. Wait, so I'm not you... saying this movie is, is, is the worst thing ever made, but it's perfectly competent. I mean, ultimately, it's a 
it, it, it fits the definition of a TV movie. Mm-hmm. And... Do you think this is on the level of bad that those other two are? No, 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 okay. certainly not. This was, this was certainly more interesting overall. I mean, there was more action uh, going on and, you know, some, some interesting callbacks to the original film, but just still a waste of time for you, for me and for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And that's well, my final word on it. <laughs> I'm glad we got to talk about it. <laughs> um, I think that as much as I'm like, you know, kind of whatever on this movie, I think it opened a lot of interesting conversation because it does a lot of weird things and it does a lot of things that I think normally in a lot of movies I would praise Yeah. for doing like taking, having a different take on stuff, yeah. having a few little nods to the original, but then it does the, those things that we don't like, like doing the recreating the biplane scene for no reason and doing yeah. it in a worse way, of course, because you're never going to match the tension and like, you know, pacing of that Hitchcock scene in a, and it wasn't even in Hitchcock's 39 steps. Like, no. Even, even I mean, um, I get it because Thirty Nine Steps is, or rather, North by Northwest is sort of a soft remake of Thirty Nine Steps, but like that still didn't mean it should have been in there. Well, and I would say too that the Thirty Nine Steps from nineteen thirty five is more dynamically shot than this movie. Mm, I mean, yeah. there are shots in that movie that this 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 is all very point and shoot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, we even had that scene in the in the in the original one where we kind of had that sort of drone shot. Remember that? Yes, yes, the, yes. Where we saw sort of, sort of the drone in the in the sky with the police, and yeah. that was that was cooler than anything in this movie. Um, yeah, this, this movie was clearly made by people that are very good at making TV, and and just but did like the standard just bog simple approach to doing this, yeah. and didn't make it look like anything exceptional, which is unfortunate because I mean there are clearly people that are capable of doing that. I mean I've watched enough Downton Abbey that that's you know that's a show that look just fucking looks great. In addition I to think, being enjoyable. Yeah, and I and I wouldn't even be like super opposed to someone like Guy Ritchie doing a take on this. I would be interested to see a Guy Ritchie take on this story. Absolutely. Get Guy on Ritchie. it, Guy. Yeah, or even like, you know, just a good action director. I think it can be done. I mean, I think it's a very simple story that doesn't need to be remade as the 39 Steps. You can just do something akin yeah. to it. It doesn't have exactly. to be the same fucking subject matter. Yeah, um, unrelated guy on the run is a is a genre in of itself, and mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I'd love to see Guy Ritchie's take on that. And also, what they should call the movie, unrelated guy on the run. <laughs> yeah. So I will say, so I will say that um, it's fine. Like yeah. it's 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 just kind of there, but I mean that's probably better than I could say about. I mean. Lawrence after Arabia, which was a fucking nightmare to get through. Yeah. And, um, almost as unnecessary as this, but at least Lawrence after Arabia was telling an original story that was set after the, the original film. And this is just a remake. Jason, don't you dare give praise to that film. Yeah. Like, like the only reason I could see you wanting to watch this movie was if you went to the video store to rent it and it was, and the 1935 one was out. And yeah, you're like, well, I really got to watch the 39 steps for school, so I you're guess really, it's this one. You're really dating us there, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. That's that's the thing. It's like now in the digital age, there's no fucking reason because you can watch 39 steps anytime on Criterion or wherever. I think it's public domain in a lot of countries too, so you can probably get a hold of it legally for free. And don't worry, guys, because this one's not even that easy to find, so it's really not worth your time. Yeah, no, Brendan, you you're you're a champ for expending such effort on such a piece of uh, I don't want to say piece of shit, but such an uh, uh, an unnecessary movie. 
Jason, this is nothing compared to how long it took me to get Zhivago, so we'll just end ah. it at that. <laughs> My biggest regret. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, 39 steps. Um, it's whatever, whatever, unnecessary, you know, do whatever if, you want. If, if you didn't watch it but you listened to this podcast, consider yourself saved. Oh, oh there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason... Let me tell you about what we're going to do next week. What are we doing next week, Brennan? We're probably still going to be doing this remote because, you know, shit's going on in the world. Yes, this uh, this lockdown seems to be continuing. We are in a state of emergency here in the province of New Brunswick. Uh, There is talk that they're going to start shutting our borders, our provincial borders, as they've done in Nova Scotia. So it's an interesting time to be alive, if nothing else. Yes, very. So I will say that... um, you know, hopefully, let's just all hope and pray that by the time you listen to this episode, things are calmed down a bit. Um, if not, this will age horribly that I'm saying this. But yeah. I uh, just, you know, guys, I just want to say before we announce the next movie, just, you know, be careful. Don't go out unless you absolutely have to. Wash your hands. Just take precautions. I want to reiterate that. Stay the fuck in. Okay. Yeah, I if work you at a can. convenience store. I work at a convenience store and I interact with a number of people every day. And I'm, I'm less concerned about myself, but I am concerned about other people that I might infect. Of course. You don't need to go out. Do not go out. If you, if you need food, that's one thing. If you need lottery tickets, shove them up your ass and stay the fuck in your house, you piece of shit. And, and I say just... that to all the old fuckers that I had to serve selling fucking lottery tickets while there's a fucking pandemic going on. And if you are old, especially stay home. Yeah, don't come out. And then, then don't get your fucking pissy. Uh, your, your, don't get your fucking panties in a bunch because I told you you had to go check your own tickets and hand me the winners so I can minimize contact. Oh, I wouldn't have come if I'd have known that. Fuck you. There you go. Sorry, this podcast isn't my personal vent space. I shouldn't be using it for such. <laughs> hey, Jason, this is 50% you, so hey, have at it. Um, I just wanted to say that, no, for real though, guys, just be careful. Yes, do stay your, safe. Do your, do your part. Stay safe. If you have to, if you are abs- one of those people that you have to go out and work, I mean, go to work, come home. Go to work, come home. Don't don't make any unnecessary trips. That's just a little PSA. Play Next some week, video Jason. games, people. There's so many fucking super long video games that now is the time. Also, if you don't smoke weed, if if, if there's any time to, st- to try it, that's right now. You got lots of time. You got lots of free time. Get high. There are also so many streaming services. You can literally get Shudder for free right now. Yeah, yeah so. get it. Just fucking get it. Um, but next week, Jason... Let's get off this. Let's get off this uh, down little downturn of a topic that I brought Let's up. Let's get on to something more down. positive. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about sort of a sequel next week. Um, we watched a 1998 film called Elizabeth, starring mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett. We did. That was on the list. Um, we are going to talk about the continuation of that story called Elizabeth the Golden Age. Directed Ooh. by the same person, which I thought yes. was interesting. Also so, starring Kate Blanchett and Jeffrey Rush, as well as Clive Owen. Expect lots of costumes in this motherfucker. Jason, I don't know. Um, I've heard that this one was not well received. No, certainly not as, as well received as the previous one. It's uh, it's rotten. And rotten Ooh. tomatoes. How so, rotten? Um, In the 30s, I think. Hmm. So this will be interesting. But before we go any further, um, Jason, they can find us on social media. They can. They can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And Country. 
You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find Jason on Twitter at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And Jason will tell you all about every step he's counted in his life. Uh, I've got lots of them. Yeah. Thousands. Start, start counting them. Well, the one was the first one. Okay. Okay. And then, and then I took another one, so that would have been two. Oh, interesting. But then I did one more. It turned oh. into three. Oh, my God. But I kept going, so that okay. ended up being okay. four. And I came. Oh, okay. Well, I guess my work is done. <laughs> it only took four steps. <laughs> That's your old four-step McLeod. That's what they call me. <laughs> four-step McLeod. Four <laughs> steps and I'm a jizzing. That's right. <laughs> oh, I'm gross. <laughs> well, you're covered in jizz. I mean, yeah, it's kind of gross. Oh, God. We need, let's get this fucking thing off the air right now. <laughs> do the thing. I'll do the thing, Jason. And doing the thing means I've got to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. For screen and country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Jason, when we return to recording together in studio, I intend to woo you. Well, uh, I, I like chocolate and I like cash. Woo you. Cash. There's a man who leads a life of danger. To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger. The chance he takes Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow Secret agent man Secret agent man They've given you a number And taken away your name Beware of pretty faces that you find Pretty face can hide an evil mind Oh, be careful what you say Or you will give yourself away Odds are you won't live to see tomorrow Secret Asian man Secret Asian Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it. Whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. New movie reviews all the time. See if these films age just like a fine wine. Oh no, we'll jack it up again. TV, games, and more with them. Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb are all the rage, but we'll lock those critics up in one cage. The Jacked Up Review Show, every Wednesday evening on Spotify, Podbean, Anchor, and other available podcast apps.